All right, folks, I do want to apologize real quick for this here. I do want to let everybody know that the audio quality on this particular recording, unfortunately, did not come out all that great. While I was trying to do the Skype with my buddy Rich up in Seattle, for some reason, it only came through with the telephone quality rather than normal near CD quality for our Skype recording. Uh, so I do want to let you know in advance of that, uh, just so you know what the quality is like for this. It's still a great podcast. I hope you do guys enjoy this particular episode. And we'll go on with the show. Welcome to episode 5 of Talking About My Generation, a pop culture podcast dedicated to the children of the 80s, 90s, and even into the 21st century. If you're new to the show, welcome. On this podcast, we'll discuss movies, video games, and television shows that we grew up on. And this week, we're going to talk about Star Trek, the original series. I actually have my friend Rich from uh, Seattle area. He's decided to join me on Skype here this week. Sounds like fun. Fun for fun. I think we'll have a, I think we'll have a good time talking about this topic, Rich. Both of us, you know, we kind of grew up on this here. Uh, I watched it in syndication. You said you were watching it in syndication uh, when it was coming out there. You know, I really enjoyed this show. Uh, any favorite memories that you have about it? Well, I gotta admit, most most people say either there's there's two favorite episodes. One would be the Cobra Night Maneuver with a, a young Ron Howard's brother as one of the children uh, who's a child actor. And then um, I usually, I used to like the one with the planet destroyer because it was like, you know, he was sitting on the ship all by himself. He was like, guys, guys, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. But it, it was just so fun. And then, of course, who can forget Khan? Oh, Khan you have to live for. Everybody, yep. I mean, everybody now still runs around screaming, Khan! <laughs> and and, and uh, for those that have seen the, the new movie, I don't know if you've seen it yet, have oh, you? Oh, that blew me away that oh, they have that they, they have Spot it. doing it. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. It was so funny because a lot of people in the theater were laughing because it's a reverse play of the original series, yeah, the, of the original movie, oh, Star Trek Two. Exactly. I mean, would you have would you have uh, in the original? You had Spock dying of the radiation, and he went through and he did all that. He died, and they brought him back for Search for Spock in the third movie, and now they have the complete reversal, only Kirk doesn't really die because they have that whole blood from Khan. Yeah. Uh, even though in both movies it was kind of a cop-out how Spock came back, and in the third movie, Search for Spock, let's just say it was a little bit more lame. I think Christopher Lloyd played a great Klingon. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's like, you bastards, you killed my son. It's like, yeah, so? Yeah. You know, but there's still three more down there, you know, and do what, you know, he was so very, he played a very unemotional uh, type person. And then in this new one, the person that they got to play the new con. Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch? He was yeah. excellent. Excellent. Yeah. He, he he was like four moves ahead of everybody. Yeah, it was definitely like watching a chess game with him. It was. It was. Now, 
I'm I'm a I'm a Starship type person. I played Star Wars, uh, you know, all the Star Wars games, and then all this, and then saw the new Enterprise for the first movie. I was kind of like, oh, okay, you kind of a you know, you know, wavy type thing. You know, it's not blocky yeah. like a normal human would make. So it's kind of streamlined. This this new ship when it landed in, when it crashed in the city, I was like, oh god, that's a, like an Enterprise C. Yeah. The undiscovered country, RB, you know, it's where it, it was huge. I mean, you know, supposedly the original Starship was 305 meters, uh, and that was before Type A. So that had to have been, what, four or 500 meters at least? At least. At, at least. least. Big guns, you know, stuff like that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> big guns, we need more of them. Oh, good. Now, speaking of that, I kind of do have to like how they put in the photon torpedoes where they had all the uh, all of Khan's people hiding inside the torpedoes itself. That was yeah. a nice touch. Yeah, well, and, and like how um, Spock had reversed it and basically, you know, when he transported the torpedoes out, didn't have, they were actually loaded with warheads. Yeah. And that was a good play because the mode there's a whole bunch of people here, you know, we got them here. And, you know, and at the end, uh, I like how he kind of went back to fleet type thing. I'm like, okay, you kind of got him coming back. I was kind of like to the point of, why didn't they do like in the original series, you know, back to the beginning with Turk and, and, and Khan, you know, drop off on uh, Seti Alpha 5. Or Seti Alpha 6, I think is what the original uh, series has dropped them off on on a planet where no life, no are bare bones enough life to survive, and you know he'd be able to use his intellect to survive. And in this one, it kind of comped out. That's the only bad thing about done about it is that he's like put back under sleep. Well, okay, you know if he sleep again for three, four hundred years, now he's twenty four. You know, twenty four centuries problem and stuff like that well there there's a possibility that they could reboot him again for like a start uh you know a next generation type thing true true true, there's that so yeah i mean maybe they're thinking ahead maybe abrams is thinking that far into the future maybe he thinks he's going to be holding on to the franchise for quite some time but one can hope i mean uh he's his his issues with time i mean look at what he's done lost uh friend not I think he started French, and then with the one with Alcatraz, as well as yeah. Alcatraz, is, and then you know he's all dealing with time and time travel. So he's a time nut. He's, yeah. He's, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for him to do an episode of Doctor Who. You know, let's go on that. Oh episode. God. <laughs> I mean, just I don't know if you've seen the Neil Gaiman episode. Um, Doctor Who. I haven't watched anything of season six yet. I've, I've gotten, well, I'm sorry. I've, I haven't watched anything of season seven yet. I've gotten all the way through season six and uh, I've seen the first episode about dinosaurs on a spaceship. Oh, that was such a good episode. <laughs> That's pretty much where I've gotten through to, and it's just because time constraints, I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it, it, I've, I've seen most of those episodes and uh, the, the doctor's wife is where he, gets transported to Neil Gaiman's episode, and it was very inventive. He actually named the TARDIS, the heart of the TARDIS, called it Idris. I'm like, 
Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, and so I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Now, so anyway, we've got off tangent. You know what happens? That's okay. We'll throw in here. We'll go into a little bit about uh, Star Trek's history here. Uh, Basically, what it was here, and feel free to step in. uh, It was an American science fiction entertainment franchise created by Gene Roddenberry, who, if anybody knows anything about Star Trek, this is the man. I mean, he was. This was his brainchild. Uh, it's currently under the ownership of CBS. It originally started out here, uh, all under Gene Roddenberry Productions. Well, actually, it was uh, it was uh, first shown in, on NBC, and he had originally pitched it as Wagon Train to the Stars. Yes, and that's actually something here that I did cover here. Uh, he did that, and he was kind of doing that where he had a bit of Wagon Train with a little bit of Gulliver's Travels in there with it which was I thought was really an excellent way to pitch it and, and the ploys that was going on with that. Uh, would have been kind of interesting to see maybe some, like, uh, uh, Brogdenag-type scenes or uh, Lilliputian-type scenes in Star Trek. But then again, to some extent, I don't know that it really would have worked. I, I know that um, Rod Sterling was doing a lot more of that type of stuff with uh, Twilight Zone. So. Right. Uh, Basically, though, this show, this was the start of it. I mean, it really has blown up into an entire franchise, which I really find kind of funny because the show really wasn't all that popular when it was running on TV the first run. Uh, I mean, you look at it, it spawned the Star Trek animated series. It spawned Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Star Trek Enterprise, and all those movies that came after all of it. And I just really think that, you know, you don't go... From one little thing that almost failed, you know, this is this is to me, it's it's one of these, you know, Cinderella stories in a sense that has really expanded on that n- nobody would ever think of it blowing up the way that it has. I mean, especially well, when you consider that it's gotten Emmy Awards, Hugo Awards, Academy Award for all of its stuff. Well, I think what what really brought it out to light is that after the uh, the syndication. You know, after like what ten years, twelve years in syndication, somebody finally said, "Hey, well, let's make a movie." And the actors were still young enough. I mean, Shatner kind of still had his hair, um, and he was still a little thin. I mean, he's kind of ballooned out now, but I mean, that's what happens with age. Yeah. Uh, uh, Nimoy. God, I'm glad he got rid of those big eighty glasses. Have you ever seen any of those pictures of him at uh, convention? Oh. He had these really, really big A's glasses. Oh, no, he still wears those when he's out, but they're actual glasses now that he uses to see, and they're oh. about as thick as Coke bottles. <laughs> well, well, the, uh, so, I mean, and DeForest Kelly. I mean, those three together, you got Kirk, McCoy, and, and Spock. Yeah, you know uh, Shatner, Nimoy, and and uh, Kelly, they were the essential. You know, uh, Spock played straight man, and Kirk and Bones played the comedian. No, yeah. I mean you know, even though that you know McCoy and and Spock just you know went at each other, there was still camaraderie there. You could tell. I mean, Spock was, uh, respected Bones's you know, his, his job and, you know, Bones respected Spock's job, you know, even though they may not, you know, emotions come into play constantly every episode, 
it was still, you know, you felt that you knew them or, or you could, you understood them a little bit. And yeah. uh, I'm going to, I hate to do this, but I'm going to go back to the new movie with Abrams. Um, Chris Pine, uh, um, the guy who plays, Kev, is it Kurt Uban that plays uh, the, uh, the Carl Urbano. Carl Urbano, okay. He, he and, um, and even Zachary Quintos, they're not a lot of, you know, going back and forth. I mean, the guy who plays Bones now, he's got that down. He's got the Forrest Kelly down pat. And, and you know what? I'm kind of glad that he has it, but I'm kind of glad in the same way that you see a little bit of his own. And I'm glad that they're not an exact copy of it because if it was, it would be more like a parody and just nobody would want to watch it. It would be exactly. stupid. Exactly. And, and I agree 100%. It, but it's all, it was all at the time. I mean, it, it really was a show. I mean, when it first came out, I mean, I was a kid at what, eight, 10. Yes, I'm dating myself here, folks. So, um, but I mean, I would watch it. And, you know, when we only had three channels and we had to turn channel manually, not like today, we got a remote. It, it, and I always knew when Star Trek was on because there really wasn't much for science fiction in the 60s and 70s. No, there wasn't. And it wasn't until my favorite movie, God, I spent summer of 1977 in theater, literally 99 cents and stayed all day, uh, Star Wars came out. That really pushed science fiction into the forefront. More than when that came out, you know, Battlestar Galactica, Alien, all these movies where science fiction now came to the forefront, people were saying, well, why don't we do a Star Trek movie? You know, that, that's what happened. And, you know, let's be honest, it fucked the holy hell. It, it was just, I don't know, most people don't like the first Star Trek movie. It wasn't until the second one came out, people were standing in line for it. Yeah, you know, I wasn't I, I wasn't too impressed, but then the very first time I ever saw the Star Trek, the, the Star Trek, the motion picture movie, uh, I actually saw it on ABC. They they did it as like a movie of the week type thing, and I saw it on a Friday night. I was watching it, and I'm like, hey, you know, this isn't half bad. But then again, I was like 12 or 13 years old, and I'm kind of watching it with that whole child's eye in a sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was... The whole thing with with V'ger at the very end trying to touch its creator, that was hokey as hell. Right, right. You know, but for what it was, I don't think it was bad. It just wasn't great. <laughs> oh, no, I agree. I agree. Now, the premise from what's been quote-unquote unquote, unsaid is that the Borg found it and had made it better, I guess, or changed it somehow. It was you know, there, there were two things that brought in, in Roddenberry's original concept was issued to fight the Borg. One was the planet destroyer with the anti-proton beam. It was supposed to be a Borg fighting vessel. Now, I don't know if this is true or hearsay or just rumor in the rumor boards, and Viju was changed over, you know, to suit what the Borg wanted it to do or change its primary purpose to find out so they could find out about Earth. You know, it wasn't, you know, until later that Q threw the Enterprise D into, you know, Borg space, the Delta Quadrant, that we actually were to brought into the Borg place. Now, Enterprise. Now, most people say 
there was one episode of uh, Star Trek Enterprise that actually had the station. I don't remember the name of the title, but I remember the station that would accommodate any race and be able to replicate food for them while the ship was being repaired. You know, it's an automated station. Right. Uh, now, again, it's a possibility that they were bringing the Borg early into the, you know, trying to change the time frame to bring the Borg in earlier than the Enterprise, you know, 24th century. Which, I don't know if you've ever seen the picture of New York, because uh, somebody did a painting of New York um, Borgified. Basically, you, you know, the entire Earth Borg. And it was, you know, it was it was a stunning picture. It was a very nice picture, but it's also very scary if the Borg came to Earth early. Yeah, see, I haven't seen that one. The the closest thing I've seen is there's a there's a painting that I've seen with a restaurant where it shows uh, Captain Kirk, Captain Picard, and like two other people, and then it has uh, it has David Tennant's doctor, and they're all <laughs> sitting at like a uh, they're sitting at like a lunch counter in New York. Oh yeah, the, the old cafe picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. It, okay. It's a total spoof, but I mean, it's... you have to like it, you know. <laughs> That's the closest I've seen on that. Uh, now, I do want to touch here because because of how influential Star Trek really was with society, uh, Gene Roddenberry really did do a lot with regards to bringing out a lot of 1960s things that were happening at the time. Uh, things like civil rights. Uh, really, integration and segregation was still a very, very big hotbed at this time. Uh, this actually, this show had the very first scripted multiracial kiss which i feel was really important that that whole kiss it was originally it was going to take place between spock and uh lieutenant uhura and they were going to kiss kirk you know william shatner pitched a fit he went to gene roddenberry and he says if anybody's going to do a kiss like this it's going to be me and so they did that and i think partly because of what was going to happen originally when they came back in in uh the new Star Trek series. And again, I know we're going back to this, but they, they really did do a good job of playing back to a lot of the stuff from the original series. Uh, they made, they made mention of it. And in the first movie, there was kind of a little hint of, of Spock and Uhura having a little bit of a love trist. And then really more so in uh, the second movie here in the Star Trek in the darkness, because you really saw her falling for him and really having feelings for him. And he was kind of just that whole stoic, Vulcan Vulcan attitude. Uh, so you did see stuff like that. Uh, you know, there there were things where it was complete spins where you didn't see, like you saw, uh, oh, you saw them, you saw kind of stuff from a different point of view. It's not specifically from Starfleet, but you saw stuff where it was creatures from the other side. Uh, you know, I mean, the whole Gorn episode, really, people got a chance to see and, and think about Hey, maybe the Gorns really aren't all that bad, even though they weren't trying. Even though they were trying to come out and kill uh, Kirk, and you kind of got a, you kind of got a little bit of seeing that, and like, hmm. So, uh, but I mean, stuff like that. I loved seeing stuff like that because it, it, in some ways, it dated the series. Yeah, it did kind of stick it into firmly into the '60s, but at the same time, it kind of gave you the feeling that hey, this is stuff that's been going on. For years, you know, and it's it's kind of like 
okay, we were, we're here in the 24th century or 23rd century, whatever it was, uh, that we've gotten past a lot of these problems. We don't have it now. And it really kind of, I think, helped a lot of people to accept what was going on in the world and, and integrate a little bit better. Oh, I, I totally agree. I mean, being a child of the 60s myself, I mean, even though I, I was just barely old enough to remember our own moon landing. I mean, I sat and watched it, you know, I didn't know what it meant. I mean, but if you think about it now, you know, it basically came out, they both came out about the same time. Star Trek basically and, you know, the uh, moon landing, they were, they were in that generation. Yeah. So people who grew up with that looked at Star Trek and said, wow, you know, they're actually got a better place than, you know, where we're at now. I mean, like you were saying is how the racial... And, you know, even gender segregation. I mean, you know, nowadays you wouldn't think about sexual harassment or anything like that. Because, or, well, I mean, it's more prevalent, you know, that there's more aware of it now than it was back in the 60s and 70s. You know, women, and, you know, got less pay because they were supposed to be at home taking care of the kids. Well, nowadays it's starting to flop around where... The guys are staying home, and the women are becoming the breadwinners. And I, I was on, you know, looking at the news and saying, you know, there's more women making more money than men, and that's great. I love it because that shows that gender doesn't play uh, a thing on how people are looked at anymore. Even you know how race is looked at. I mean, yes, when I'm, I'm you know, what Cronin wasn't working myself, but you know. It uh, every time they ask, you have an option, you know, which race you, you know, if you don't want to admit to what any of it, you know, they don't segregate anymore. I mean, yes, they want to know what race you are, but they don't really care. Yeah. Well, and, now to, to kind of get back to where you're going a little bit with the whole segregation, I don't know, have you ever seen the original pilot of Star Trek The Cage? Yes. Okay, so you there was a bit in there where they originally had where, basically, for those who haven't seen it, it's they get thrown to a planet. They're trying to they hear a distress call coming from a planet, and it's Captain Pike. It's not Shatner that everybody remembers. This is actually uh, I want to say Christopher Pike. It was he yes. was he yes. was and he if you see the new Star Trek movie, he's actually kind of supposed to be Admiral Pike that comes in and that kind of gives Kirk his commission in. Uh, with the Enterprise. It's actually in the original series, in the original pilot, he shows up, he's uh, sent down to the planet uh, to go answer this distress call, and it turns out that it's these giant-headed beings that they pick up on this. They they basically, all they do is sit around and think, and they pick up like uh, telekinetic, or not telekinetic, uh, telepathic uh, images from things of feelings of characters and creatures that they have in prison there. And they really want to experience all that so that they can experience their lives rather than living their own lives. And so they basically capture, they capture uh, Pike and they capture some of the women that come from there. And I remember when I watched this episode, uh, it was really kind of interesting because they have an ensign who comes on and she's a female ensign who walks onto the bridge and they have, his science officer, I think it is, 
where she's a female and he basically they basically go down to the planet and they're supposed to be the next Adam and Eve in a sense. And then he brings in this ensign and he's like, you know, I, I, I have a really hard time with having a woman on bridge. And it's kind of like, oh, sorry, science officer, you, you know, didn't mean any offense on that. And I was kind of like, really? Really? This, well, okay, you know, 1960s, yeah, okay. Women still were underneath that. They were still kind of underneath that glass ceiling. And he was trying to get out from that. And I, I kind of saw it and went, okay, I see what he's doing. But at the same time, it was like being hit over the head with a mallet. Yep, yep. I definitely, definitely agree. Now, one of the episodes I, I may have mentioned earlier, the one with the half faces, mm-hmm. um, that actually was a racial segregation one. Because basically the person that got stranded on the Enterprise, actually his color was different than the norm. So he's being racially segregated from his planet. Even the next generation has done something like that, the uh, gender one, where they were gender neutral. They were neither female or male. And there are certain people that started to realize that they were either female or male, and they were being ostracized for it. They were just, you know, people were just, they couldn't, you know, relate to this. And, you know, as again, this time Jonathan Frakes, you know, uh, um, Jonathan Frakes' character, he had to eventually, uh, you know, fell in love with this person, and he had to break it off because she got mind wiped. I, I can't remember the full. Uh, I know at the end he basically, you know, was sad at the end because her planet had uh, put a lighter term castrated her, I guess, or, or you know, basically brainwashed her to think that she didn't have a gender anymore, hmm. and. And it, you know, kind of fell back to Gene Roddenberry's original story, you know, as he did in, in the original, you know, uh, the original series, you know, where, where you were saying that, you know, racial segregation, gender segregation, and all this. I mean, it, it even came into the next generation. This was after Gene died. Yeah. They... I mean, this was, what, fourth season, I think, is the uh, third or fourth, uh, fourth season, I think, is what happened is when that came out. And I, 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 I got to say is, you know, everybody will kind of cringe when I mention the name Brennan Brana. I probably killed his name, and I apologize, sir. Um, but, I mean, you know, he had, he probably had, he had to take the reins after Gene. And, you know, and the to have Nacho Roddenberry doing the voice of the computer throughout the entire Star Trek franchise, except for the new stuff because she's no longer with us, rest her soul. And, you know, it just, you know, it still kept his his spirit there, I felt. Yeah. You know, and the fact that his son, his son now is still residing over a lot of the uh, Star Trek franchise. He still kind of has a little bit where he's writing uh, he's writing shotgun in a sense along with Paramount and CBS uh, with Viacom that he really does want to keep it kind of going in his father's name. He does want to kind of keep it as, you know, the Roddenberry name and he doesn't want it to besmirch anything with the franchise. He really is kind of just, he's kind of in some ways he reminds me of like a continuity advisor and that he's kind of saying, Hey, let's, let's keep true to what my dad wanted. And I'm, and I'm really glad for that. And, and there's a lot of sons that are doing that. Uh, yes. Frank Herbert's son. Is him with Kevin G. Anderson. 
uh, has written a couple books now. I, I'm not a big fan of the Dune series. I, I've never read the books, and people say, oh, you haven't read the books? Oh, well, just it just never interests me. Um, yeah, uh, and, was, that was that whole series was one of those ones that I was just kind of like, eh, you know. It, <laughs> the movie I thought was pretty decent, but as I'm watching, and of course when that movie came out, when that movie came out and I was watching – I, I watched it for the first time on video, on VHS. My God, that dates me. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I remember watching that and seeing it, and all I could think was, oh, my God, it's Special Agent Cooper from from uh, Twin Peaks. So, you know, again, that was <laughs> yep, my generation yep. is what I was remembering. So uh, let's go ahead here. We'll jump into some of the characters here for this show. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, we want to go with the major characters that we know about. Kirk. We'll, we'll start in with Kirk. Kirk was portrayed by William Shatner. Uh Everybody who's anybody who's anybody has probably seen him on TV. The guy does the Priceline commercials, which we all can't stand. They killed him off for a while. They brought him back. You know that that's William Shatner, and he looks. He still looks like he did. I mean, you can still see his face from the original '60s series, right? But he's gotten fat. Well, <laughs> let's be honest. I, I, um, you know, he actually uh, got was uh, had the pickers. You know, the American pickers. He yep. actually had them get some stuff from him. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's got more politically correct term would be heavy. Yes. <laughs> but, it, but I mean, it, it, I don't know if he, have you seen the audit commercial with uh, Leonard Nimoy and Zachary Quintos? No, I have not seen it yet. I've heard about oh. it. I've been wanting to watch it. Oh, I know on it's Google, I, on I, Google Plus. Type in uh, either Zachary Quintos or Leonard Nimoy, and and it'll pull it up. Oh my God, it's hilarious! Because Leonard Nimoy is sitting in his in his car doing the Hobbit song with oh, Bilbo <laughs> It is so hilarious. I just laughed that entire commercial. Now I have, I haven't seen it actually on TV. I've just only seen it on social media. So it. For all you listeners out there, yeah, if you want to see Leonard Nimoy do the Hobbit song, oh, go on Google Plus and search for it. It's hilarious. But uh, you know, and also you know, Shatner's done you know other stuff other than you know Star Trek. He's done like T.J. Hooker, I think, as he played cop drama. He's done he's done a lot of stuff. He's even done other countries. Uh, yeah. Shows. Plus, he's had his he's had his books that he's written the whole Tech World series, which from what I understand was more ghost written than anything yeah. else. But you know, he had that, he had his name that he was putting out there for the comics that he was doing for a while, which a, it flopped. It was pretty yeah. bad if you ever read it, but you know, it is what it is, but fortunately uh, I missed it. So I, I can spare it. Yeah. <laughs> now a couple things we do want to touch on here with regards to the Star Trek franchise with Kirk and Chatner. Uh, Kirk, he was, he really was kind of, he was kind of a one-of-a-kind in a sense with the series. Uh, he originally did start here. Uh, he became the only student to defeat the Kobayashi Maru test. And the test, basically, what that was, it was set up here so that it was it was supposed to be a no-win test, a no-win situation. Uh, basically, what it was supposed to be was that they were put into, they were sent into the neutral zone to go through and rescue a ship that it was it was a war zone ship it was you know the neutral zone is kind of supposed to be a war zone against the klingons and this ship was damaged it drifted into the neutral zone 
and the the students had a choice to either disobey the prime directive and go and rescue the ship, bring it back, or you know, and and in the process of doing that, possibly incite war with Klingons, or they could just do nothing and let the people, the crew on that ship, die. And what happened was that Kirk went ahead and he cheated. He went through and he hacked the computers so that the Klingons wouldn't actually attack him or something to that effect. I forget what exactly happened, but he basically kind of said, okay, I hacked the computer and he cheated to defeat the Kobayashi Maru and pull off everything and be the the first and only student to ever defeat it, which I thought was kind of interesting. And again, going back to J.J. Abrams, they kind of went in and showed you how he did it. Yeah. How he cheated, you know, cheated change the computer and what he did in the uh, uh, the scenario. And, you know, Chris Pine did play it kind of over the top there. But, I mean, you kind of give you an idea of, you know, that, you know, he, he how he beat it. And I think they kind of embellished on what really happened. But, it got, but, I mean, think about it. The way his character was written, it wasn't written as, I mean, I could, I would imagine his Kobayashi fix would have been more subtle, not as blatantly over over the top as Chris Pine's was. You know, where he's like, "Oh, really? You know, but their shields are up. Okay, we'll we'll shoot them anyways." I feel he would have done something that you know, like a subspace anomaly would have came out of somewhere or something like that, and and just caused the you know the Klingon ships to stop punching, and you know the. The neutral zone's no man's land. Basically, that's what it is. You know, you go in there, you're gonna get shot or you know by anybody. And he he did it. You know, he was very smug about it when he explained in in the second movie. And you know, Bones is kind of like, you know, this is the only person to ever beat it. And he's like, well, I got a combination for original thinking. Well, you gotta imagine he he had to have programmed it somehow not to get caught. I mean, yes, in the, the the new movie he got caught, but yeah. he I I think he did it in a way in in the original is that he did it in a way not to get caught, and that brought his skyrocketing his you know name to uh, um, to captainhood because I think he was the youngest captain or youngest Starfleet cadet to ever make captain. Yes, and that actually that was kind of. What they did, and they basically just gave it to him because he got that commendation for beating beating the Kobayashi Maru. Originally, uh, in the new J.J. Abrams, he got caught, and they were kind of like, you know, he got to be captain basically because of what happened with with uh, Admiral Pine in his ship and being captured in the new J.J. Abrams series, which I know we're doing a lot of comparisons back and forth, but you really can't not do it with the fact that now you've got this reboot and everybody's kind of getting back into Star Trek again. So I apologize to everybody who's listening who kind of doesn't want us to do that too bad. (laughs) I agree. I mean, you know, we're going to find similarities because even though Abram is kind of creating his own thing, I mean, he he, literally in the first movie, he killed the Star Trek timeline. Yeah. Even in the Enterprise series, they killed the timeline. So, I mean, yeah, we're going to go back to this one because now you basically created a new universe uh, on his, even in the Star Trek game. Uh, I don't know if any, a lot of people are playing. It is free to play. And it's great because now you can play Romulans. 
which I'm doing right now. Um, it, it's basing a lot of the, the stuff from the, the, the new Abrams movie and the game, which is great. Went off tangent again. Sorry about that. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about (laughs) it. Uh, I do want to talk. Obviously, Kirk was kind of he was kind of just seen by a lot of people as being the smug, arrogant bastard. (laughs) I guess the Uh, cowboy. Yeah, he he was kind of. I'm going to do my own thing, even though sometimes it wasn't necessarily right. But it always seemed to work itself out in the end. From what I from what I remember with this series, Uh, he also was a womanizer. I mean, anytime that you saw a woman on screen. The running joke was that, hey, Kirk is going to end up in bed with her. And his shirt always kept coming off. I mean, Galaxy yeah. Quest was a great parody of the original uh, series. I love that movie. Love that movie just because of how many comparisons that they made to Star Trek. Oh, yeah. It was, you know. totally, it was such a parody. It was so good. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, when you look at he was he was in bed with, you know, uh, he, he was seen in bed with the green-skinned women. Uh, I can't for the life of me remember what their names are. Names, uh, what their right. names. Yeah, right. thank you. Yes, you know, and, and he was in bed with them. Uh, you know, I mean, just you start seeing this throughout the series. The you know, and I'm I'm still kind of surprised that he didn't end up in more of a relationship type role with Uhura throughout the series. But well, you know, uh, Yeoman Rand was always trying to get him to kind of look at her, even Nurse Chapel. You know, Major, Major Barrett before she became Roddenberry, you know, was, you know, kind of under the, the limelight type thing is, you know, trying to get Kirk's eye. And I'm so. kind of, I'm kind of glad for some of that, that that did sit, show up. And I mean, you never actually, I don't think we ever saw Kirk settle down. I mean, even in the movies, because those all took place later. He, I don't remember him ever having kids, at least. No, he never did. In, in the uh, last, Last movie, or the last movie that he was in, the uh, with the Next Generation crew. Uh, Generations, he, I think. Generations, yeah. Okay. Uh, it basically he had a girlfriend, but he had never um, had children. And he, you know, in five, oh god, one that he directed, he said that he was always he always knew he was gonna end up dying alone. Which. I don't know, it's kind of a lonely thing for a man who's done so much for Starfleet. Yeah. And, and basically he did. He died on the uh, the one planet by himself, but, he, I mean, he got sucked into the rift. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was what it was. But, I mean, then again, when you think about what he was originally doing with Star Trek and what he was doing with the Enterprise was that he was supposed to be going out on an exploration mission. He was more... He kind of reminded me of just being more of like Christopher Columbus in a sense, although Christopher Columbus had his own problems. Uh, well, you know, of course. He, he was Christopher Columbus. He was Ferdinand Magellan. He was, you know, he was uh, Francis, Sir Francis Drake. All these things mixed into one with this giant explorer who was going out and trying to basically, with the tagline of Star Trek, boldly go where no man has gone before. Such a great tagline. You know, it really makes it really makes this series when you look at it as to what it was. Uh, Now, let's go ahead. And I I do want to touch also on Spock because everybody sees Spock. They know who Spock is being Leonard Nimoy. He has become the epitome of what Vulcans are and that whole stoic emotion. I mean, 
he it's really kind of funny if you ever see him in person now he still has that persona of very stoic he will smile and he, he does laugh but he is spock and he is unfortunately he's been kind of tagged as being only spock although i want to say he's done like he tried to do shakespeare or something uh after he got done with doing with doing uh, star trek i think so too it and just it, didn't it, carry <laughs> yeah well i mean he's written two books and which is so funny is the first one is i'm not spock and the second one i think is i am spock yeah <laughs> you know like two like 20 years later it's like okay dude you know and, and he's still he's the only character that people will recognize i mean instantly i mean it, it's it's like it, i was reading an article saying that the superman s for the new movie men of steel is the second most recognized symbol in the world well spock is the most recognized character and actor in the world because people look at him and go oh my god it's spock even without yeah. the pointy ears they still Even recognize with, him <laughs> exactly exactly now in deep space nine now going kind of jumping ahead here is when they did the trouble triples episode where they actually had the deep space nine characters mixed in with the original star trek characters and they had to digitally remaster the original print so that way that they could you know digitally compose them together what I found funny is that I, I was reading a, uh, they actually had a little tidbit behind, is that when they digitally remastered the print, Leonard Nimoy spilled coffee on his uniform in that scene, and he had a coffee stain that they actually were able to digitally expose it, and they had to go in and air it, air it out because, of, you know, you, you know, you don't want coffee on the 60s, you know, Stuff like that, uniform, oh, okay, well, you don't know what they expect of the uniform. So when they did it, they had to go in and literally airbrush it out. So that way it would oh, look nice. I was like, wow, the things you learn, you know, from, you know, what, 30 years difference and how the prints are done, you know, what you can discover, the little tidbits of history. I mean, look, yeah, up, it, it's history. And now I'm going to say it's up here in Seattle. They have the science fiction museum. It, it used to be here now. It may be it's part of the Rock and Roll Museum now, but they actually had the original 1960 captain's chair. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Now, I, I got to say this thing was hokey as heck. I mean, it's a prop. I mean, all it did was swivel. And, and, yeah. You know, the buttons, they really didn't push them. But, it, it, you know, it looked like they pushed them. So it, if you ever get a chance to come up to Seattle, check it out at the Science Fiction Museum because it, it because they have all the, the old science fiction stuff, even Star Wars stuff. And it was just interesting to see some of the scripts because they actually had some of the original scripts signed by the writers. Oh, wow. D.C. Fontana, um, Harlan Ellison, stuff like that. So it's just like, oh. so. Anyway, got off tangent again. Sorry about that. Don't worry about it. You know, I, I do want to bring forth – everybody remembers them because Spock was – he was kind of just this whole no emotion. And that was really something within uh, the Vulcan Vulcans within that 
they originally, from what I'm, from what I remember from reading up on this, was that they were originally a very warring um, species, and that the reason that they had done this, they actually brought themselves to being no emotion and having no emotion because they were so angry at one point that they were constantly going to war with everybody, and they saw this and they were like, "We can't be like this." They started dropping out the emotion and becoming very non-emotional and start breeding themselves out of this so that they wouldn't go back to war and be more uh, a more peaceful race and more integrated race which and i always thought was kind logic. of interesting and, and the logic came into aspect yes and, and and i do remember you that is correct is that they were very warlike and they had to you know like you said breed it out of them basically but they still do have that warlike aspect with the pon far yes and Ponfar, Ponfar, if you want to go ahead and explain that, Rich, because I kind of have a little bit of graph on it, a little bit of grasp on it, but well, it's basically mating. You know, after seven years, a male will go through the Ponfar, and basically, kids cover years because you don't need to hear this. <laughs> he gets excited, I'll uh, PC that down, and wants to mate, and they get very aggressive. Very, very aggressive, and they're full strength because they are stronger than humans. Vulcans are like two times stronger than humans, so they can basically pick you up and put you over your head. And in the Star Trek series, you know, the Tom uh, Parr episode where he had to fight Kirk and almost killed Kirk because of this, because he became so befuddled in the mind, he couldn't, he couldn't realize who he was. He forgot who he was. Even Voyager had an episode of Pontar where one of the Vulcans tried to, quote-unquote, rape Buona Torres. You know, he, he, he liked her a lot and wanted to mate with her. Well, you know, she's a half-Klingon, and what do Klingons do? They fight first and ask questions later. So basically, yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, definitely something for... I'm sure there's psychologists that are like, oh, the pump force, this, 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 this. So, yeah, basically, mating. You know, you know, we all get into the mating rituals. You know, we date and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just basically dating for Klingons or mating for Klingons or uh, Vulcans. Sorry about that. And for anybody who has watched Futurama, they actually do spoof completely on this with Dr. Zoidberg. They have a whole episode where he starts working out and all of a sudden – he starts puffing up. He starts having his crest come up, and oh my god, it's that time of it's that time of my life where I have to go back to I, I forget what the name of the planet is that he's from, but he's supposed to go back and he's supposed to do this whole mating thing. So it's basically a complete rip on Pon Far, but they parody it very well. And he's supposed to actually mate, and then when everybody mates, they die. Their eggs go, and they they yeah. birth new uh, they birth new Zoidbergs in a sense, <laughs> and. You know, that's what happens to them, and, and he ends up not mating because he's so far removed as being a doctor, and he's not the ideal type of person for for the rest of the uh, Zoidberg characters to mate with. So I always thought that was kind of funny. When I saw that, I'm like, that's Pon Far. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I wanted to move on here from Spock, uh, kind of moving on here to uh, Bones. Now, Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy, uh, he was played by DeForest Kelly. Uh, he, was the, he was the one who everybody saw. He was the ship's doctor, and he had, the, he had some of the most classic lines with, 
you know, he his his one major line was, "I'm not, you know, I'm not this. I'm a doctor. Damn it, I'm not this." Yep. You know? yep. Or he's dead, Jim. Yes, yes, and, and he hated that line. Yeah, yep. And he, it's so funny is that he, he did. He really did hate that line, and it's so funny is because he's named, he's known by it. I mean, how many? I mean, he's going back to Futurama. Didn't didn't they spoof that in Futurama as well? Yes. I think they, and, and he was actually quoted because he hated that line so much. He joked uh, when he when he he said when he died that they were going to end up putting that on his tombstone. Now they never actually did because unfortunately DeForest Kelly is no longer with us. But he did joke about it, and I always thought that was kind of funny. And I was wait I was always waiting for somebody to come up and put a sign next to it that said "He's dead, Jim." I think somebody did, and they just you know put a sign there for a second, and then took it away. I mean, even when. Uh... Uh, me and my gaming friends, you know, we'd, we'd go, oh, he's dead. Well, you grab his tricorder and I'll grab his wallet. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's how, you know, we, you know, we you used it. And so I don't know if he, he's done other acting stuff, but he's probably the one that's the most quiet, quiet out of the entire group. He wasn't very vocal out of, out of the group. I mean, Leonard Nimoy, Wilm Shatner, they're usually more vocal. But he was the quiet one. He was. He really was. And with his character within this series, I I always kind of liked it because he was the one who was always kind of suspicious of everything. He didn't really trust a lot of the stuff. Uh, yeah, he used a lot of the technology. He used the tricorders to try and figure out things. He used the technology, but he was always suspicious. He didn't really like – he was always one who wanted to take the shuttlecraft down to the planet because he was suspicious of the transporters. Uh, and and- – well, I mean, let's be honest, how many transporter accidents have there been throughout the entire history of Starfleet? I mean, just in the first five series, there's, like, always a transporter accident, you know, or, the, you know, uh, was it uh, Picard becomes a kid? Yeah. And, you know, the Mirror Mirror Universe one was a transporter accident. So, I mean, yeah, I, I can I can kind of relate to his character being very, I mean, even, again, sorry folks, we're heading the new movie here, but even in the movie, he's like, you know, the, his very first words when he met Kirk was, I may throw up on you. <laughs> I forgot about that. And, and I, I just busted a gut. And then, you know, Kirk turns around and does the same thing. I may throw up on you. And, and it was just, you know, how, how he hates technology. And, Again, yeah, most people are going to hate you know, the, the, the Starship. Even in the second movie, you know, he, he really kind of does his own thing like Kirk does. But in a medical aspect, where Spock kind of does his thing from a science aspect, they kind of do their own thing, but they mesh well together. They're, they're all cowboys, so to speak. Let's call them that. Let's, they're all the cowboys in space. Yeah. Now, do you happen to know where the nickname Bones came from? Unfortunately, I do not. I do, actually. I was looking for this because I've always wondered. And I've had friends of mine ask me, and they're like, well, you're a Trekker. And I'm like, don't even classify me as a Trekker or Trekkie. I don't know what the correct term is. I know that people get really politically correct on that, but that's another topic. Um, That's a a whole scientific observation for psychologists. Yes. Uh, Basically, actually, the term... Uh, the name nickname Bones. It's a play on Sawbones, 
which is an epithet for physicians, in particular those who are qualified to be a surgeon. In the Civil War. Yes. And so that's really where it comes from, and that Kirk gave him that nickname. I was always wondering about it, and I was like, I'm going to look this up, and I'm going to find it, and damn it, I found it, and I'm glad I did. That's, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's, that's, yeah, he was, also, uh, he was also one of the characters who went through, he carried his voice through throughout the entire series here uh, for this. Uh, he went and he did it in the original series, and he also carried it into the animated series. Him and... I want to say uh, Nimoy and uh, Shatner did that, and they were the only three to do that, carry their characters through for the animated series, which I always th- thought was kind of interesting. You know, most of the time, uh, we're avid Comic-Con enthusiasts. I mean, if you listen to most of the actors, they're just glad to work. Yes. And, and I mean, if you listen to, I mean, I used to go when Richard Hatch was trying to trying his darndest to get a new Battlestar Galactica, he said, I don't care what we have to do. I just want to work again. And that's probably the same for Shatner, Nimoy, and any actor. I mean, any actor whatsoever, they just want to work. doesn't matter what it is. You know, they just, you know, okay, I'll do it. And, you know, I mean, though most of them nowadays, you kind of get to pick and choose if they're a well-named actor. You kind of get to pick and choose what you want to work on. But, yeah, they're basically just those dull things they want to work in the animated series. I mean, you know, I did, I don't know if you've known this, but DeForest Kelly was actually an a actor in the Western time. He did a couple of movies as a, uh, you know, kind of a, I gotta say, a two-bit actor for a Western. Yes. I, I don't remember which one it was, but most people probably go, oh, this is, this is, this. Okay, well, I'm sure we can go on IMDb and you know pull out the list of all the movies he's done that's not Star Trek related. And unfortunately, we don't want to do that. It takes so long. Uh, yeah, <laughs> neither one of us is a walking IMDb. So hey, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, when we were talking about the transporter accidents, the next person that we're going to talk about really is kind of he kind of fits right in with all this. Uh, we're going to talk about Montgomery Scotty Scott, played by James Doohan. Uh, he was the he was the uh, he was the engineer in the series in the entire media franchise. Uh, uh, you know what? I'm actually wrong. He actually did show up in the animated series as well uh, to reprise his role as as Scotty. Uh, he's been all throughout this place, but he really is kind of everybody knows him for his one line. I, I'm giving her all she got, Captain, but I cannot yeah. give her any more. You know, no yeah. more power. We need more power, Scotty. <laughs> And, and even when he 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 starred in, you know, when Jimmy Doohan starred in, you know, like uh, the Dyson Sphere episode, and he was telling, you know, Star Trek Next Generation, his whole thing was, you never tell them anything. You never tell them how long it's going to take. Just tell them it's an estimate. So you can't be a miracle worker if you always give them the correct time frame. So it's, you know, he's like telling Geordie LaForge, you know, take your breath, and you know, you don't, you know, Give them some time. Tell them, it's not, you know, because captains are like little children. They want it done now. Yeah, we'll get to it sooner or later. We'll fix it. And even Simon Pegg's character, which he hit the notch. Oh, yes. He, he hit it with uh, uh, with uh, Scotty in this one. 
And I was so worried that he wasn't going to be a good Scotty when I first heard that he I, was going to do it. I was like, <gasps> I got to agree with you. I, I was like, Simon Pegg? Nick Frost, Simon Pegg? You know, Hot Fuzz? I was like, okay, well, yeah. he, he's a great English actor. Can he do Scottish? But then again, if you think about it, Jimmy Doohan wasn't Scottish anyway. Yeah. And, and you know, it was so funny that later on he actually got an honorary doctorate uh, from some some college from some college for engineering. You know, and, you know, it's like great. You portrayed an actor, you're an act an engineering actor for thirty plus years. Yeah, here's here's a you know, you can you can go to the next life with a doctorate, you know, saying well, that you've done this. And it's kinda of funny too because he even though he wasn't Scottish, Glasgow, Scotland has mm-hmm. fought. They're trying to get a statue erected as the birthplace of Montgomery Scott. Oh, that'd be so cool. I know. I saw it. I, I saw it when I was researching for all this. I was like, oh, I hope that that actually happens. <laughs> I really I, I, do. I'm sure you get enough. I'm sure there's enough trekkers in the world that'll, you know, they'll do like a Kickstarter campaign or something like that yeah. to get it going and, and raise enough money to get it, get it working and they'll get a raise for him. I'm surprised oh. there isn't one for DeForest Kelly. Well, I think partly just because of, of everything that happened with him when he died, you know, everybody just kind of scattered his ashes and it was, it was oh, kind of one of those like, yeah, he just wanted to be done with it, I think. And he, you know, he, because he hated the role, he really didn't want to be remembered too much for it, I think. So, uh, one thing I do want to say though, with regards to Montgomery Scott, he had his character, that character that James Doohan played had some of the most memorable roles for me. I mm-hmm. remember in the episode, there was an episode of uh, Star Trek Next Generation, which ties completely back to the original series. And the very first time I ever saw this, it made me laugh because Scotty shows up at the bar and he wants to have a drink. And he says, ah, give me a drink. And, you know, uh, Guinan, who was the bartender, wasn't there. And Data says, you know, well, you know, we have Synthahol. And he goes, no, I want a real drink. Give me something with real alcohol. And so he looks behind the bar and he goes, well, Guinan has this stuff. And, and Scotty looks at it and he goes, well, what is it? And Data looks at it and he he opens it up and he looks at it, looks at the bottle and he opens up the bottle and he sniffs it and he goes, well, it's green. Um, yeah, and that was the thing. It was originally a joke that they had done when they had back on the original series. And I didn't see this until probably 10 years later. Uh, they had these characters that came into the ship and they were experiencing for the first time. There were these like cosmic beings that were floating around in space and they materialized and took on human form. And so they were experiencing being human for the first time. Well, Kirk picks up on this and he's like, he's telling everybody, he goes, get them to experience being what really, really being a human is. And so Scotty says, I'm going to take this on. And he starts proceeding to get them drunk and they're getting more and more drunk. And they do this whole thing. And he goes, what's the stuff? And the guy asks him, he goes, well, what's the stuff in the bottle? And Scotty goes, well, it's, well, um, it's, well, it's green. (laughs) And so I remember that so well. It was one of my favorite scenes, that and some of the stuff with the tribbles that I just, I still laugh about to this day. And so because of that, you know, I always remember that. Where they started the fight and, you know, they didn't, they didn't start the fight because they were bad-mouthing the captain. They started the fight because they were bad-mouthing the Enterprise. Yes. (laughs) uh, God, yeah, that was so funny. Oh, that was hilarious. 
But now, with regards to that to that Enterprise thing, it really kind of did show how much of an engineer Scotty was, how forward thinking, how much of a genius he was, because he trapped himself in the in the beam, in the right. transporter beam for years and years and years and years in this cyclic loop, and they finally rescued him from it, and he beamed down and discovered it. And it was really kind of nice in that respect because you got a chance to see how smart he was. And with the with the original movie, with the new J.J. Uh, Abrams movie, the first one that they did, they kind of touched on how much of a genius he was with transporters because he had figured out how to do a long-range transporter beam. And that kind of came into play with the second one where Khan stole his ideas that he had sent back to Starfleet. Yep. And so yeah, you see it. You can see they did that. They and, and of course they did make mention in the J.J. Abrams series. They kind of did throw an homage to the original Enterprise, where they were talking about uh, Captain Archer's dog. How Scotty had beamed Captain Archer's dog around, which I always I always liked that. So I mean, the fact that they're really pulling this in, they're really making him a big part of this. I loved it. You know, I loved that part of this. Well, I mean, you've got to think. You know, because a lot as well, most actors will take a job depending on how many quote-unquote lines they get. Yes. I don't know if you ever heard this, is that a lot of actors, well, I don't have enough lines to, you know, to warrant even doing this movie. And there's a lot of people that'll, that will drop a roll because of that. And some people do it just because they want to do it. Yes. And and, and Simon Pegg kind of just, just, I mean, he was, Scott, he, he was, I couldn't think of anybody else. Other, you know, it's like um, when Wizard Magazine was doing who would be great for the X Men, and everybody said, "Well, Jack Nicholson would be great for Wolverine." Well, yeah, Jack Nicholson's like sixty years old; he can't really play a type that type of person. Where they got Hugh Jackman, which he's a great actor, he's too tall. <laughs> he's yeah. Just, that just if, that's one thing that bugs the hell out of me with that. Yeah, but Ray Park was actually. Wolverine height. He was the smallest actor of the entire group because they had him all lined up. He was shorter than Holly Berry. But they and, couldn't have him playing it because he was doing Darth Vader or God. Uh, uh, Toad. Uh, he was well. He was doing Toad in this movie, and then he and also then, was back and forth with Darth, uh, Maul. Darth Maul. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I think he would have been a great Wolverine. Uh, yeah. Anyway, back back to Jimmy doing here. <laughs> Sorry about that tangent. Oh, oh, that's okay. Uh, I do want to point out uh, one other thing that was very memorable, at least to me, for James Duhon. He passed away in 2005, and he was cremated. And some of his ashes were supposed to be shot up into space, and he was actually going to go and take this whole you know journey to go beyond. And unfortunately, when they shot up his rocket, the rocket exploded as it was going up. And so basically all of what he had was was spread out over most of the planet. <laughs> Uh, spread out over in the atmosphere, it burned up in the atmosphere, and then he also did have uh, the remain the rest of his remains. They were scattered kind of up by you, up in Puget Sound area. So, you know, he was he was memorable for that, at least for me. Uh, next character I do want to talk about here, another important person who she really was kind of part of what made this whole brought well, she brought forth a lot of the civil rights movement in a sense. Uh, would be uh, Lieutenant Nyota Uhura, uh, who's played by Nichelle Nichols. Now, 
Funny thing about that, she never actually had in the original series. She didn't have a first name. She was always known as Lieutenant Uhura. And it really wasn't until uh, some of the uh, books that came through, you know, 20, year, 20, 30 years odd later from the series that they actually gave her a name. And then they really actually used it in the first episode or the J.J. Uh, Abrams movie to really say, hey, you have a name now. You have a first yeah. name. Yeah. And, you know, going back to Galaxy Quest, you know, guy, do it last name, buddy. You know, that uh, whole thing. It's like, yeah, Lieutenant Hur for the entire, you know, three years that Star Trek ran, that's all everybody knew her by. You know, she they knew she was so Huey and, you know, went from there and that, that whole kiss with Shatner which actually they filmed that twice because they did one scene with without the lip showing and they did another one with the lip showing. So a lot of people are kind of like, you know, you'll see two different versions of that kiss. Well, they actually filmed it twice just to, you know, give it a better, you know, depending on who was watching at the time, you know, kind of thing, you know. So right. That was kind of always neat, neat to know. And then... I don't know, going back to Futurama, was it Futurama or something like with the fan dance? Oh, oh yes. I felt so, I, I, I just felt, really, really, you can go with this? But, and, and, you know, it was so funny is that when she was doing this part, she was ready to quit. And then she got a call from MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., and said, no, don't quit. You're an inspiration to all of us. And, you know, she stayed on. And she became a memorable character. Everybody recognized her as a strong woman character on the bridge. And as a black woman, she made history. She really did. I mean, and at this time, too, you have to think, 1960s, they didn't have women on the bridge of any Navy ships. You know, it was unheard of. You know, and, I mean, or in in any military. Yeah, I mean, they, if know. they did join the military, they were more pencil pushers, paper pushers. Yeah, I mean, it, throughout the entire, you know, most of most of military um, action here, it, it's only been probably what in the last fifteen, twenty years that women have really started becoming showing up in the military. Before that, even back into, you know, the the fifteen hundreds, the sixteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds. Women on a ship was considered bad luck. So yep. to see this, it, it's kind of really going and throwing, you know, throwing everything to the wind and throwing that taboo right in, right into it, and saying, "Hey, we've got women on the ship. It's an important thing. We're going to move on." And I'm kind of glad that we do see that here, even if it's a starship well, and it's e- going through space. It's still a big thing to me. Even even when I was in the Navy in the '80s, yes, I'm dating myself again. Is there were several. I knew I knew of several women that were on the ship. Now they were non-combatants, quote unquote, quote unquote, non-combatants, meaning that their ship was supply ships. That's the only job they could get. Which I didn't really think that was fair to them, whether secretaries or something like that. So seeing her character being a communications officer and in the new movie being a linguist, like the one character in Enterprise being a linguist, so she knows, you know, that you don't have the universal translator like you did in the 24th century. You had to know the language and translate it. 
that was a big thing. I mean, wh- and didn't they make mention, like, they asked her, how's your Klingon? And she goes, a little rusty, but I can pull it off. Something to that yeah. effect. Yeah, basically, yeah. But, I mean, she had to know the languages for the 23rd century. So it's just like, wow, you know, that's a lot to memorize. I mean, most humans can barely remember two, one language, not mentioning two. And she's doing, what? 10, 12, Romulan, Vulcan, Klingon, and maybe Andorian, maybe Gorn. So it, it, it's definitely interesting that they really updated her character for the new movies that came out. And, you know, I mean, getting back to the second movie, Into Darkness, which I kind of say was a crappy title, but anyway, it was, it was a good movie. Um, she was actually beamed down and shot coma, kept shooting to give fuck time to recuperate and, you know, knock him out. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they've really built her character, not only from the 60s to today, she's now became a very, very strong character, on par with the original three. And I'm, I'm really glad that they did make her as strong a character as she was. I mean, she really was important. i uh, did, I, and now, I don't know if you know this, but originally, Roddenberry wanted her to be named Lieutenant Sulu. And mm, yes. uh, one, of the other, one of the other writers kind of pointed out and said, you know, it's so similar to the term Zulu, which uh, really was kind of a – it was kind of still at that time a bad thing. It, people didn't want to be reminded of the African plight that was going on with Zululand and everything that was still happening. I mean, you know, we're talking late – you know, late 19th century, early 20th century, they had the whole fights going on in Africa with Zululand, and they really didn't want to have that. So they kind of carried that on, which kind of goes into the next character, which I want to talk about, uh, which was Hikaru Sulu, who was played by uh, George Takei. Um, Now, anybody who knows George Takei, if you haven't heard this, the man is gay. He will come out and he will say that. He is... He he came out and it was kind of funny because one of my favorite voice actors, Rob Paulson, who does Pinky in the Brain and uh, he does you know he, he does Pinky, he does Yakko Warner. He came out and he he said he remembered he was actually in West Hollywood the day that they had the huge press conference for George Takei, and George Takei came out and he goes he goes yes I want to make an announcement that I am gay and this is my husband here standing here next to me we've just gotten married and. He goes, yeah, there were crickets because we all knew. He goes, we all knew you were gay. He goes, from the time that we heard, from the time that we heard Warp Factor Five, Captain, we all knew. Yep. <laughs> you know, it, it was just like nobody said anything because you know, hey, it was like you know, uh, Paul Lind. Everybody knew he was gay back in back when he was doing uh, Bewitched in the '60s, but nobody said anything because they liked him. Same thing with uh, Takei. They kind of just went with it, you know. Well, I mean, nowadays, if you think about it, he really takes that new persona that he's, you know, and and ran with it. I mean, he was in um, uh, uh, Zohan, and, you know, they were having, like, a whole bunch of gay people there, and he was like, oh, puppies, and, you know, and he's always doing that, hello. Yes, hello, and (laughs) oh, my. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's really gone ahead and, you know, 
just kind of went with it. You know, he's like, hey, yeah. now I've, you know, I'm on these shows and I'm going to run with it. You know, I'm, I'm gay and yeah. I'm happy. And, and you know what? I, I am so glad for him. I have nothing against homosexual people. If that's your choice, that's your choice. Exactly. I don't care. You know, you're, I'm fine with it. But I always found it funny that he made this big announcement and everybody was like, yeah, and. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny is that even on the notes that you, you brought up here is in, in the uh, Star Trek Four, the Undiscovered Country, Hikaru actually had a daughter, Demora, which he, she was the helmsman on the Enterprise C. Yes. Or the, um, B, I'm sorry. I keep getting C and B mixed up because C was sent through time and so but you know he you know and you know this is goes on to Shatner's was where do you find find time to make make a family and then Scotty goes well you know you make the time you find the time to make the family and Kirk's kind of like, oh well I should have did some but you know so it you know it kind of filled into the point where you know he's dying alone type situation whoop 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 but no I mean yeah, his role in the original series was, you know, really didn't come up to play until, like, the the one where they were having the sickness, or the drunken sickness, or they kind of did in the next generation where you touch and you're basically infecting the other person with kind of like you're basically just drunk, and he's running around with a sword. You know, he's trying to defense with the sword. I'm like, okay, you know... Got a shirt up and bitch, he's like, Yeah, I'm showing this to all the guys out in the world. And you know, probably yeah. what he was doing. And, and you know, well, and I, I am kind of glad that, again, throwing homage to the original series with J.J. Abrams, and that he did mention that because supposedly in the original series, he was supposed to be, Sulu was supposed to be this really big swashbuckler, and he really was in the fencing. And the fact that they did have uh, John Cho come back in, in, the J.J. Abrams reboot, and they had that huge fight fencing scene on the top of that, oh, uh, that satellite that, that was following. Holding? Oh, that was so cool. That's I thought so that cool. was a nice touch to throw an homage to him. I, I really did like that. Yeah, because uh, he, well, let's be honest. Well, we'll finish with the character and truth, and I want to make a statement on the technology of Star Trek. But anyways. Oh, definitely we'll get to that here in a few minutes. But I, I, I do want to kind of touch here because kind of leads into our next character. Uh, Sulu actually, well, uh, George Takei actually kind of had a little bit of issue at first because when he took some time off, uh, it was originally intended that he was going to kind of be expanded upon in the second season. And then uh, George Takei was actually playing Captain Nim, who was a South Vietnamese army officer uh, in the movie Green Berets with John, uh, John Wayne. And so he really could only appear for half the season. So what they did was they brought another character in. And that character was Walter Keenig. And he actually, Takei actually kind of took a little bit of offense to this because he's like, well, I'm being replaced with a younger actor. And he was kind of like, uh, you know, I, I don't like this because you guys are putting me here to the side. And it was actually a big thing because they became friends. They actually were the two officers that were sharing the Helms panel. And that really was, it really kind of became a thing where they start showing it from there on in all the Star Trek series that they had two people sharing the helm to steer the ship, which I thought was kind of nice. 
Uh, but going into that here, the next character that I do want to talk about is Pavel Chekhov, who is Walter Keening. And he was originally supposed to be a character that showed up. It was He wanted... Gene Roddenberry wanted this younger character to really appeal to the teen audiences. He wanted something that he wanted a character who kind of looked like, you know, Paul, John, George, and Ringo. Uh, he wanted that Beatle. He wanted the Paul Revere type look. He wanted, you know, he wanted Paul Revere and the Raiders. He wanted all that sort of stuff that, that British look that was iconic from coming out of Liverpool at the time, but he didn't want them to sound, he didn't want it to be British themselves. So he brings in Walter Keenig and says, can you do a Russian accent? And boom, Pavel Chekhov was born. Which even in, even at the time to introduce a Russian character during the start of the Cold War, that was actually saying a lot right there that, yeah. you know, we're getting back into the, you know, the, the whole gender and racial and all this, you know, now we're dealing with different countries that we are supposed to quote-unquote hate during the 60s and 70s, you know, and yeah, you're introducing a Russian character, and then even in, what was it, the the one where they went back in time, the fourth one, the 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 Voyage Home? Oh, The Voyage Home, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, he was trying to say, where do you keep the nuclear weapons? Yes. And, you know, and the cop is just looking at him like, is this guy serious? Yeah. Should I arrest him? Whistles. You mean know, yeah, vessels, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, I know it's a total play in the Russian verbiage. And he really isn't, you know, I mean, there is a movie that he did, you know, a science fiction movie. It wasn't very good for he's up in the moon or something. Kind of like an early screamer's type situation and I can't you know I'm I know there's probably people out there that know this name of this movie and it's like oh it's a great movie it's like yeah, okay it was interesting but um I I don't know what he's done outside of Star Trek I mean that's that's kind of the type of person he's kind of behind the scenes like uh, uh DeForest Kelly is he's a very quiet type person and even during the uh, movies, he said, I'm done with the screaming bit. You know, like in the second movie where he's like, you know, they had the creature in his ear. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, I'm done, guys. I'm done doing the screaming bit. You know, I did that for so many years. It's, it's time to quit make me quit that. And he basically didn't, you know, really do any more acting you know, on that. I mean, except for the uh, Generations where it's the last scene in Star Trek movies. So, well, I, I, we're pretty much done with all of our characters here. I do want to kind of touch on some of the other pop culture references that do show up here. Uh, that I mean, there, there is one other one that I do have to bring up. I know we talked about the Kobayashi Maru. We talked about Ponfar. We have to talk about red shirts. You do not get away from talking about Star Trek without mentioning what a red shirt is. Oh, yay, the red shirts. The red shirts. Yes, we always knew when somebody wore a red shirt, they were they were the first person to die. Uh, e- even in the uh, Futurama episode uh, where they had all the characters together, you know, uh, the red shirt that replaced Jimmy Doohan in like the musical of Twenty Something, uh, he died, you know, because he had a red shirt. And, oh, it's hilarious, and I'm still waiting for in this new series for the re- for the first red shirt to openly just 
totally buy it. Um, well, they they kind of had that in the second movie because they had the I don't know if you caught it when they went down to go pick up Khan the first when they like were taking the transporter down to find Khan and the two guys walk up and they're wearing red shirts and he says to them take off those red shirts put these you th- put these uniforms on we don't want people to think that you're we want them to think that you're a uh, smuggler and then the guys end up buying it later on yeah. they get yeah. shot by they get shot by the klingons which i thought was i was like okay yeah that was a nice touch you know the, true they weren't wearing the red shirts when they bought the farm but hey <laughs> they still bought the farm hilarious <laughs> yeah and i still remember i remember watching one of the, one of the first episodes of uh, original series star trek and my dad and i are sitting around watching it and i had just heard about red shirts and i'm kind of like oh and, and you could always tell the guy partly because one he was wearing a red shirt and number two he was not like a major character so he beamed down to the planet and you're like that guy's gonna die <laughs> yeah it's like five four Oh, he's dead. Yes. Right. You make it a five yet. Yeah, my father looks at it and he goes, here you go. Here's your lesson on red shirts. And I remember just laughing about it. I'm like, oh, my God. But, <laughs> you know, they even make a point of that. Uh, red shirts has become so ingrained in the pop culture, uh, the whole uh, history and everything with culture and that. John Scalzi, who's a writer, actually wrote a book called Red Shirts. And it's it, it's basically a total parody on everything that happens within the Star Trek universe. It, it it talks about these guys that go down and they're science officers and they are always like the captain and everything. And the new guys always show up on the ship and mysteriously, whenever the new guys show up, everybody else who's who's a science officer or something like that vanishes. And they you know, it's like, hey, we're looking for somebody to beam down to the away team to go explore the planet. Uh, you, sir, come with me. And, of course, everybody who's beaming in, who's coming into the show, they're wearing red shirts. Yep. So, I mean, it's kind of this whole thing that you see it. It builds upon it. Red shirts are throughout the series. And the other thing that I do want to point out here, for people who, who actually count this out, I, I went and looked at this, and this was something when I started looking at red shirting, they made a mention of it. In the original series, there were 59 crew members who died. Of those characters... 43 of them were wearing red shirts. So I want to say it's a little over like 80 something percent uh, that they were, they died wearing red shirts. So it's kind of that whole thing ingrained into our society of what a red shirt is. Uh, It was always fun to wait for the countdown to see how long it would take a red shirt to last. I mean, you know, of course Scotty wore a red shirt, but you know, He's a major character. Ma- yeah, major character. And that was the thing so, when, when they when they told uh, uh, Chekhov to put on the red shirt to go and become an Enterprise, you know, to go and become the engineer in uh, the new movie, I was kind of like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't, you, you're not going to kill him. They can't kill him. And my dad looks at me because we, we went to go see the movie together, and he's like – he looks at me and he goes, does this mean that Scotty's going to buy it? And I'm like, no, dad. He's major <laughs> character. <laughs> you know, we, we, we laugh about that still. You know, with with the red shirt, so I, I at least enjoy that. Uh, it was always fun to see how long they would last. Yeah, yeah. You know, you always count. It's and even with within Galaxy Quest, they made fun of that because you know I, I want to say that the one guy was guy was wearing a red shirt at one point in time, and he's like, "No, no, no, I can't wear red. I look horrible in this color." Uh, now, I, I do want to also touch on a little bit of trivia here with this. Uh, I actually – this is something that I learned about while I was researching for this. 
the original studios that picked up Star Trek, they were saved. Star Trek originally wasn't going to go on after they saw the first pilot. They had to film two pilots for this movie or for the show. And it was Lucille Ball who helped save it because she liked it. And they were telling her, we don't, you know, it's it's not really going to be popular. And Lucille says, I want it on the air. I like it. You're going to put it on. So they produced it. They produced Star Trek under Desilu Studios. And if you ever see the very first season of it, Desilu Studios is tagged onto the end of the show. Yep, I always yep, thought, I always liked that, you know, to see that Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball saved Star Trek and they brought it to us or else we wouldn't know anything about it. Um, that's such such a great thing to know is that, you know, somebody who's known for comedy saw something in a pilot that had really no place in the 60s. I mean, today, yeah, you can get away with it, doing it. But in the 60s, oh my God, that felt unheard of. Yeah. I I was blown away by that, just to learn that. Uh, I also learned that uh, with regards to a lot of the sets, did you know that that uh, Captain Kirk walked through Mayberry? Mayberry USA from the Andy Griffith show? Oh, in one of the uh, um, uh, yep. one of the Earth scenes? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. City on the Edge of for- Forever. Oh. Uh, they were, because they were so poor on, on doing this, on, on cutting costs, they were, you know, they were so, so strapped for budget that they were actually walking through uh, sets of Mayberry. And at one point, you actually see them walk in front of Floyd's barber shop. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> you know, I know so that place. You see that. You also see them walking in front of the Mayberry Courthouse and Walker's Drug Store and other Mayberry landmarks as they're walking around. Supposedly supposed to be like in uh, the 1920s, 1930s when they're doing the whole gangster bit. Right with uh, Joan. Uh, oh, God. What was the character? Um, her, her, the actress's name. She was supposed to, anyway, anyway, yeah, so that was cool, going, walking through Mayberry. Yeah, you know, and it's just, it's one of those nice little touches that I picked up on, and I, I mean, I, I read about it when I was researching this, and I'm like, really? And so I went back, and I'm looking for it, and when they said it, I'm like, oh my god, there it is. I wonder if they had one of the uh, uh, people from the actual uh, uh, Mayberry, uh, you know, one of the actors from Mayberry as one of an extra walking through. That would have been, that would have been really hilarious. Oh, I know people would have picked up on that and just started laughing. Oh, yeah. That would have been hilarious. That would have been now, funny. A couple of other things I did pick up on. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Spock originally, he, he was supposed to be red. Really? Yeah, he was supposed to be red, but when – he was going to be a dark red, but when they, when they went to go do it, they scrapped it because they realized that on black and white TVs, it was going to come off looking like he was in blackface. And they were like – Oh, you don't know. We don't want to do that. Plus, it would have had it, it would have had him having to spend even more time in the makeup chair in the mornings trying to get ready to film an episode. As it was, he had the problems with those uh, with those uh, prosthetic ears, right. and that it was very painful for him to wear it. And you know, Nimoy said he goes, "I hated those damn ears. They hurt to put on." Well, it, it's like Michael Doran as well. He he had in the first two seasons, he had problems with his Klingon makeup. And, he, you know, he basically went to the guys and said, hey, look, you know, I like the character, I like doing the job, but really, we got to find something to do with this makeup. It's killing me. I mean, even um, uh, the girl who played Mystique for the X-Men, I mean, she did full body paint, and she had to go and get all these uh, 
cream baths to get all that boo by paint out of the, the uh, out of the pores. So if you imagine the the uh, the makeup that went in the sixties, yeah. Wow, could you imagine? You know how? Yeah, the black and the, if they did a dark red, yeah, he would have came out as a black face. But if they did a lighter shade of red, he would come out with a gray face. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were originally they had problems with that. Now, if you ever saw the original pilot, when that came out, he actually they did go with a more yellow color to him. Mm-hmm. And when I saw it, I was kind of like, "Wow, Spock looks Chinese. It just didn't look right." right. But what, when they went through that, when they were doing the original color correction for it, the the guys were looking at it and they didn't realize that he was actually supposed to be yellow. So they color corrected it when they were putting it through for color. And it kind of toned down everything, and Spock came out looking more normal. So he wasn't quite so yellow. Unfortunately, it was one of those things that kind of got lost. And in a way, I'm kind of glad that they didn't make him look more yellow on it. But Yeah, because, I mean, could you imagine having him sit in makeup for longer? That would yeah. just, just be hard for the band. Now, one last thing that I do want to touch on here, and then I'll let you go on with the whole tech of Star Trek. Uh when Gene Roddenberry, he originally aired this pilot, the second pilot, not the cage. I forget what the second pilot name was. Uh, he actually aired it at the World Science Fiction Convention. And there was some guy in the audience who was mouthing off and, you know, God, this thing is taking forever to get through to. And so he tells the guy, he goes, hey, shh, I want everybody to enjoy the show. You know who that guy was? Isaac Asimov. Oh, God, the, the creator of the three laws. Yes, wow. you know, and, and it's like, oops. Um, he didn't realize it, and he told him, that he told Asimov to shush until after the whole thing was over, and Asimov stands up and goes, I liked it. <laughs> he was like, um, oh, uh, uh. Sorry about that, guy. Open yeah. foot, insert, you know, open mouth, insert yeah. foot. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's the people that have enjoyed this series throughout the years have been astronomical. I mean, getting into my aspect of the technology. I mean, tricorders. We now have tricorders. They're limited basic medical tricorders, but we've got them now. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, uh, how many people did the flip communicator? I mean, in the uh, 80s, how many had those little flip phones? And, even, you know, even then, when you look at like the Bluetooth headsets, that's straight out of the Uhura wearing that headset on the, on the deck of the star on the bridge of the starship. Exactly, exactly. You know? it, it, it was the small stuff that got people interested. They were like, we've got to make this. We've got to make this, and they did. I mean, it, it, if you look on social media, every so often they'll post, you know, all these different devices, and they'll show an Android phone for today. You know, camera, MP3 player, you know, uh, Walkman, disc, you know, all this stuff is, you know, you can hold it in your hand. Yeah. And technology is going to get even more interesting and advanced. I mean, the Raspberry Pis. I mean, you literally can have a server for $100. You know, you get a whole bunch of it together and you got a great server. You know, yeah. And well, Starships. Who, I mean, all of us remember the space shuttle. Now, I was in Florida, again, dating myself in the 70s, 80s, 70, 
before, just that jobs came out great lovely. Um, we actually saw the landing field for the shuttle. It was three miles long. That's how long it took for the shuttle to stop. And they actually made an Enterprise shuttle. Of course, it got renamed later on. And they had all the actors from the original you know, Star Trek series. Was It was great. You know, it seemed there saying, hey, yes, we, we're taking your, your, your look at the future and we're creating it now. Um, phasers are starting to come out. You know, they're, they're not, and they're still in the production phase, but, I mean, they're, they're lasers, basically lasers. Yeah. Starships. I mean, there's talk of, you know, how Stephen Hawking said, well, we need to get off Earth. Oh, okay, great. How do we get off? Well, they're thinking of warp theory. Yeah, they're they're investigating warp drives, which you know I'm really fascinated by. That, along with, uh, they've actually started creating antimatter to power yeah. things, and I'm kind of going, this is incredible. When you look at all the stuff that has come, not just from Star Trek. I mean, you know, again, it's a very broad thing, but Star Trek really has been a very large mover and shaker in the sci-fi world. Well, it's we were- amazing. Most of the, the writers for The Next Generation and even Voyager were basically taking things from today and putting it into the show because they, they were all look, always looking for interesting aspects of science to use in the show. And, and a lot of times, you know, it goes to show how little we know of the universe, even in the 90s when The Next Generation came out, and how much we're discovering today with the Hubble telescope. Oh, it's just, you know, we're seeing the universe through other people's eyes, basically. I mean, not, not human eyes, but who knows? You know, everybody has this theory, are we alone? Well, no, I'd say no. You know, I, I look at it like this, is that if 100 million bacteria can live on the head of a pin, how it's really arrogant of us to say that seven billion people are the only life in the universe. You know, right. we, we're living on the head of a pin here, right. basically, yep. and we know outside of us. You know, when we look at that pin that's got the bacteria on it, we're larger than that. So, you know, maybe there is something else out there. Maybe it's something that's looking out at us, kind of going, "Hey." There's the, you know, we're insignificant to them. Right. Who knows? You know, we just have to maybe look at the bigger picture. And I think is that we, we as a generation, you know, three generations, four generations, and count me, we need to evolve more. Yeah. And we need to, you know, this whole war, jihad, crap like that. We need to grow up. I mean, we haven't grown up yet. We're still primates. We're still fighting for ourselves. We're fighting for our, our land, our, our, our families, our, our everything. You know, money. Money is... Uh, I agree with Star Trek's philosophy that we've evolved past money. Yeah. So, I, and I really, I really do hope that we kind of adopt a lot of the Star Trek philosophies later on in life here. I mean, I would love to see the, us starting to adopt it now, where... We're not just, you know, we're a planetary federation. 
we have put to, we put aside our wars to go out and to look upon the stars and look at what is out there. Explore. I really think that we need to get to that point. Whether it'll happen in our lifetimes, probably not. Well, Although I'd love to see it start to happen. It's starting. Uh, they're trying to get people to go to Mars. And, you know, I got to say, I'd be the first AV to sign up. But, you know, if it, uh, you know, if you had the money to do it, I'd definitely be the first person to sign up for it. Because it's the, the unknown. Yeah. We're, you know, because that's the whole thing Star Trek was about, was discovering the unknown. Yeah. Not to be afraid of the unknown, because yes, it will kill you, but what you learn from it will make you stronger. Yeah, and, so, and with that, we do want to pick up on that whole to boldly go where no one has gone before. It's that boldly part that really puts that emphasis in. Go out there. Don't be afraid of the future. Look for it. Accept it for what it is. I 100% agree. I 100% agree. And even the next generation. You know, two, three generations down the line. Who knows? They they may, I mean, 3D printing is coming into play, you know. Who knows? Maybe replicators, holodeck. I mean, they're working on holodecks now, or hollow, uh, holograms, basically. Yeah. But, I mean, all that came from one person's thought, memories, and, and wanting to show that the world can be better, can be better, will be better. And... Let's, you know, we cross our fingers and hope that we can evolve past this petty, petty crap with, you know, the way the world's going right now. You know, wars, famine, all this stuff, you know, we need to get beyond it. We need to go up. And I'll be the first person to say we need to go up. Well, with that, I'm going to go ahead and just wrap up this episode. I do want to thank you for this. Uh, This basically wraps wraps it up for this episode of Talking About My Generation. Uh, Please feel free to leave us feedback on iTunes. Please, please, please do this. Give us a rating. Let us know how we've done. You know, if it's good or bad, we'll take it. We want to know. Let us know things that you want to hear about. Uh, Tell us what you like. Give us, you know, give us feedback. Uh, You can also send us a tweet. I am at S-P-R-Z-O-U-T. I I don't know if you have a tweet or not, Rich. No, sir, I do not. No problem then. Uh, You can also reach us here at... uh, my generation podcast at gmail.com if you want to leave us a message or you can find us at Facebook at talking about my generation. So I do want to thank you all for listening and we'll go ahead and we'll sign off with the theme star Trek theme song. <laughs>